Hi, and welcome to today's show, where I'm, well, I'm delighted to welcome once again, Dr. Otagara Crago, uh, a clinical psychotherapist, addiction psychologist, visiting professor in private practice, who's worked in many fields, eating disorders, addictions, um, really well experienced and uh, a wonderful therapist and person. She's also also the author of a number of books around the topic of releasing your obsession with things that she's written about, diet chatter, uh, with um, aging, and her latest book, Release Your Obsession With, are you ready for this? Money. How many of us need to do that? Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Howard. It's really exciting to be here. Yeah, it's, it's always good to have you on the show. Um, you know, your, your books have this theme of people's obsession with things that are, at that obsession becomes very unhelpful. Correct? Uh, and you, as I say, you've written about a number of things there that people get obsessed with. Um, tell us a little bit about the general theory about that, and then we'll dive into uh, how we can break our obsession with money. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, that would be, and, and we can. Um, well, uh, I work in private practice for the last 25 years, so I hear a lot of stories, and I hear a lot of situations, and money seems to be a common thread. And um, as food, eating disorders, weight issues, aging issues, um, there's just a lot of obsessions out there. And, and they're, they're just growing. It's an endless topic for me. Uh, actually, my next upcoming book is on the phone and technology. No, I was about to say. <laughs> it's glued to our ear. You know, we're always right. obsessed about who, who's, you know, pinging us. Mm -hmm. um, but with the money... What I found was when I'm working with someone with an eating disorder, I will often hear, you know, if I just had enough money, I'd be thinner, I'd be prettier, I'd be smarter, I'd be more successful, blah, blah, blah. And, and what I noticed in my travels, a lot of people do inherit money. Mm -hmm. and, and more than not, it did not make them happy. And so, hence, that's when I started saying, well, wait a minute. This, this aging obsession and weight obsession and body obsession and face obsession is really connected to a money obsession because there's this belief that if we have enough money, we can do anything. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not quite true. Of course, we need money to survive. Mm -hmm. We need a roof over our head. We need you know, food to eat. And, and it's really nice to be able to put gas in your car, especially now with gas <laughs> prices so high. Mm -hmm. um, but that wasn't really the point. I mean, there are people really in poverty and I certainly didn't want to make that not important because it is. But what I found is if we live on less, make a little bit more and we save, we can get out of this mess with financial struggles. And that's how I, I started this, this book. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and full disclosure here to the audience, I did get a pre-copy of Lisa's book, and I was fortunate enough to write 
uh, a little forward for it because I do think this is such an important topic uh, and it is critical. <clears throat> and unfortunately, people aren't very good with numbers. That's one of the things that, that comes out for me is, you know, compounding numbers over even a few months, let alone years in a mortgage, for example, people have, have no clue. It's live in the present, uh, which is what the brain is, is really designed to do, but we've got to move beyond that. Otherwise, we will not be able to manage finances at all. So that's one aspect of it, for sure. Yeah, uh, and that brings up such a good point um, that the, the more we put that little bit to the side, it accumulates very quickly. And if you act as if you don't have that money, you could start to get out of debt. You know, um, I was privileged. I, 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 you know, grew up in a pretty, pretty upper middle class lifestyle. My father was a well-known uh, pianist and, you know, we had a pretty good life until we didn't. When mm -hmm. I was about 12, my mom moved us all up to our little summer cottage that was not winterized. It was rough. My father stayed behind in his businesses. Um, at the time, this is in the 60s, and it's a little kind of similar to today in some ways. There was a lot of social unrest and a lot of mm. stuff going on, and she wanted us to be safer. To, so she carts us off to this little town, and I, for the first time, lived poor. I mean, really poor. We didn't live rich on the other end either. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My dad is an old, was, he's passed now, old-fashioned Italian guy who he didn't wear the fancy Rolex watch and drive the hottest car. He wasn't like that. He was very simple, simple, simple. But anyway, we go off to this cottage and it was my awakening that, you know, you can get cold when you don't have good heating and water pipes freeze and, and, you know, not to get graphic, but toilets back up. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I just did not know that. And I was thrust into that at 12, my eating disorder, uh, becomes apparent at that point, but nobody knew about those things back then. And the reason I'm, I'm even bringing this up is my very first job was working with the Mexican migrants. I was a little over 12. Honestly, I can't remember how I got that job, but I remember my mother dropping me off and I had the crisp white little tennis shoes and these cute little pedal pushers with flowers on it. And, you know, I was not ready to be out in a field. I had no gloves, no hat, no anything in this scorching heat with these migrant workers working for their supper. I'm working for a horse. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I mean, they looked at me like you poor little rich girl. And they mm -hmm. called me that in Spanish. And, and they kind of thought, oh, she'll last a day. I have this determination in me to succeed no matter what it is. And I just pulled up by the bootstraps and I made it. The first day I was blistered and bleeding and it was awful. But that was my eye opener into there are really poor people and they are really working hard. They were living in the back of their trucks and large families. And I just remember eating a, a sandwich and my hands were filthy and there was nowhere for us to wash them. Because mm. we were picking out in this field, picking mm -hmm. uh, actually cucumbers and peppers and things like that. And that was when I realized we have to work hard. And I don't want to ever be so poor 
that I am only working for my supper. Mm-hmm. And that was where that began. Then I began to realize we have to, we have to save. And, and of course, I didn't learn that right away because I went to college. Uh, my family wasn't the type we're paying for your college and whatnot. I did it on my own. I had almost a half a million dollars of debt in student loans that I lived off of. Mm. Then I go get older and I have a mortgage and I have a car payment. And I have this loan hanging on me. And I learned how to get out of that by acting as if I did not have money when I started to make money Mm -hmm. and I kept putting it away and putting it away. And I did pay every penny off. And today I live debt free. And, and that took away all that obsession and which I really never had obsession for money, but I didn't like being in debt. No, 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 absolutely. And you know, it's so interesting. We get wrapped up in our own worlds um, but it's, you know, it's very difficult uh, to identify sometimes with, with people. I was, uh, I like to go, because of my roots, I like to um, look at BBC News. Uh, and they, they generally have some really good stories. One of the stories was a really horrendous story about, um, you know, hunger, serious hunger and starvation in some country. And I looked at, you know, they say, here are the most read news. The story wasn't in the most read news at all. It was probably about some Hollywood actor or actress, what have you. But, you know, people literally, literally, actually the story now I recall was about the horrendous state of, or the lack of healthcare in Afghanistan at the moment. And specifically as it related to childbirth. And there were horrendous pictures of starved babies. I mean, this baby looked like it was 80 something years old. It was wrinkled and drawn and whatever. And it was heartbreaking. But it you know, wasn't among the most popular stories that people were reading. And and that is such a good point, Howard, because if you look at you know the population I work with, most most of the population that's obsessed with the money has all the things that we need. They've got the fancy iPhone and the nice car and the this and the that. And and they're wanting for more and they're feeling this lack of. When when you think about what you just described, how heart-wrenching, that's poverty. That's not getting healthcare. That's not, you know, when I'm talking about obsession with money, I'm saying we don't have to be obsessed with it and we can live comfortably and we can save and we don't have to be in this financial fear because we have opportunity. We are mm-hmm. in the land of opportunity. Mm-hmm. We can create if we with almost anything. Mm-hmm. You know, my mother-in-law was from Puerto Rico. She had, I, I'm guessing, maybe a third grade education, maybe. And I don't even know if she could read. I really Mm. don't, but Mm. she was Mm. smart and she was spiritually smart Mm. and she knew how to sew. Mm. She had that sewing machine and Mm -hmm. she would work day and night. She worked for a a factory sewing and worked her way up as a manager. And then she sewed at night for people who needed things fixed. And she would squirrel away the money and squirrel away the money. Do you Mm. know out of the whole family on that side, on my husband's side, she was the one who was wealthy. She was the one who'd always accumulated almost that, 
you know, close to a half a million dollars. Wow. And people would ask her for money. She was always right. lending money. Right. right. And, yeah. I, you right. know, it teaches you that we have what we need. We just have to learn to live on less. Right. Save. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, when we live in a culture where there's so many entities reaching out, trying to convince you to buy that product or pay for the service or that service. And it, it, it's, it's very difficult to resist that. Um, you know, that those are pressures on us to spend money. Oh, take out another credit card. It's okay. It's only, you know, zero percent for the first year yeah and then it's you know 15 percent after that um you know um and so on and so forth and so you know one of the problems is the human brain as you know really likes simplicity and it's easy to divide things into you know black or white this binary thinking but this issue with money is incredibly complex because as you say you have people around the world who have zero literally, and are literally looking for their supper and to feed their kids today. They have zero. And then it goes all the way to the top of the scale. We got people who got more money than they know what to do with. And then in between, we have a, you know, a continuum there of, of people. But it's always, it seems always that the mindset is, I need more. It's never enough. You know, oh, I, you know, I just won the lottery. Hey, great. I got $5 million, but man, I wish I had $10 million. And that person that won the lotto. And I have a story about that. It's a really cool story. And it's a true story. Hmm. There was this fellow when I lived in Chicago, I used to bartend my way through college. And there was this fellow, you would always sit at the bar. He had this goofy little hat on. He was a lot of fun. He was hmm. sweet, sweet, sweet. Um, very simple. I don't even know what he did for a living. I cannot remember. But he won the lotto and a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Because all of a sudden he came in with his swanky outfit and he had this top hat. And, you know, he was just real fancy looking and all the girls were swarmed around him. And he wasn't particularly suave. He wasn't that good looking. And he he just wasn't the kind that girls would be, you know, attached to. Yeah. And so we realized he won this lottery and it went right to his head. He was spending, he was getting his nails done and he had the spiffy shoes and the really hot, nice car. And then he disappeared. And then we saw an ad in the newspaper that he had died, that he took his life. I was devastated because he mm. was such a sweetheart. And I thought, this is all about money. Fast forward, we learn later, he staged his death. He didn't die. He stayed. He made so much money off this. He didn't make it. He, you know, won, won hmm. that he staged his own death because he had the recognition, the, the awareness. These girls were not after him because they liked him. They were after him because he had a lot, a lot of money. It was millions. Hmm. Hmm. And, um, and he, he ended up living very simple, bought a farm. He got married, a lovely lady, had a bunch of kids. And it was a happy ending, but oh, it good. was such an eye opener, you know, to actually stage your own death. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty, yeah, it's pretty dramatic and drastic. Yeah. It and, was. Because, and because there are stories of people who won millions and then, you know, turned to criminal activity and drug use, mm -hmm. uh, blew all their money. I mean, it's yeah. very, very 
sad. Um, and, and I'm not sure why that happens. I don't know whether it's people suddenly realize, you know, so what? I've got all this money, no big deal. <laughs> you know, at, at some level that their life hasn't really changed because of it in the way they hoped. Yeah, or they think they're not going to run out and there's this, this thing of, well, I'm going to get everything I never got. Mm-hmm. And, and what I noticed, I, I remember this fellow, he was in a horrible, horrible accident. Um, he was a, a construction worker in the machinery. He was like uh, helping the, the person drop whatever they were supposed to in this hole, but it fell on him. And, um, and, and he broke his back. And uh, he was a, an African-American man who, who had lived in Georgia his whole young life under his grandma's thumb, you know, he was used to the lashings and, you know, he was a very sweet, kind, good person that had this horrific accident. The accident didn't change him. He, as far it changed his mobility and his whole life, he became disabled. He gained a lot of weight. That's how I met him. Cause I'm, you know, working in the industry with people with weight issues and, and low self-esteem, et cetera. And it turned out he kept buying, he had all these money managers because he didn't mm. understand money. Mm-hmm. So that's part of it too. Like you said, sometimes we don't understand the, how money compounds and how we can have more of it if we're careful with it. I don't mean selfishly, we could still give and, and, and be you know good with charities, but uh, he was giving away so many houses and cars, houses and cars, those two things. Hmm. When I met him, the money was gone. Hmm. And so were all the people that came out of the woodwork. He said he Hmm. had more family he never even knew he had (laughs) and friends and this, and he was such a good guy. He was so kind Mm -hmm. and he loved his life before. I remember he sat in in Hmm. this room in my office weeping because he wanted his old life back. He loved his life. It was simple and he was happy and he was strong and he was mobile. And that money only became a heartache for him. Yeah, so it's not difficult to see why in our culture particularly, uh, people don't, you know, they worship money and that is their driving force. Um, how do they, how do we change that? I think we have to respect money and not honor it. I think we have to look at money as, okay, this is a blessing that we've got this money, whatever money it is, whether it's for food or whatever. Um, And then, then realize that, that, that whatever monies you have, you are, you need to do uh, responsible things with it, pay your debts, give some to charity, put some away, you know, you balance with it. Uh, I, I think the promise of money is going to make me be all glittery and, you know, like the movie stars and, you know, the glitz and glitter, that is not real. And I don't even know how many of those people are that happy, to be honest with you. And maybe they right. are, maybe they aren't. But I think you, you help people change when you, when you let them real, help them realize they have the opportunity to save themselves. Mm-hmm. They yeah. have the opportunity to make the money themselves. One woman I used to work with, she was older, well in her 60s. 
she spent and drank and had fun. She had, you know, <laughs> lived in the moment. She had a lot of fun. But then she became elder and she did not have money. She was living on a $700 fixed income in a studio apartment that was costing her $600. Imagine, she didn't Thanks. have any extra money. And, and, and I said to her, I said, you know, and she was significantly overweight and had health mm. issues, problems breathing and, and, you know, asthma problems. But, but there was a happy ending to this. There's still a good ending. She's still, she's still with us. But um, we talked about how if she got a little job, just a little job to supplement. Mm. And she did. She got this little job. And I said, no, don't act like you have that money squirrel it a good chunk of it away keep putting it away do you know that to this day now she has over fifty thousand dollars that's awesome yeah and and she doesn't touch it i said don't act like you you know you have it how great that feels but you still need to live within your means right and like you brought up earlier we're always offered credit cards and mm-hmm. uh, loans come get a house you know you mm-hmm. can get this loan no if you don't make enough for that loan you shouldn't get it. Right. Yeah, I heard about a, a guy who was making like, I think like $1,600 a month and he had a car payment of like $600. <laughs> I mean, that's insane. Uh, but that's, I mean, I guess that's uh, that happens. And it's interesting, it's, is what part of this, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Lisa, but part of this is, um, what people think will make them happy. And, and also we should define what happy is, right? So happy isn't fleeting pleasure and having a good old time. Happy is having a meaningful and purposeful life. Um, ideally free as as much stress, including financial stress as possible. No question about that. Um, but that's what it's about. But, you know, you asked most people, I think they would say, if I just had. No, you're right. I think it's life with purpose. I think to be able to sit still and embrace what's around you. Uh, I always remember this one sweet girl. She had this image of me on the weekends that I would go out with my hair flowing and a long gown with my husband out to eat with all this glitz and glitter and gold and jewelry and and, and go dancing. And, and I laughed. I thought it was kind of funny because that's so not me. On Friday, the end of my day, I go home, my hair goes up, the face gets washed, and I'm in sweats mm-hmm. the entire weekend. I, I, the last time, and, and it's not that I have anything against eating out. My husband mm-hmm. owns a restaurant, which was mm-hmm. um, clearly mm-hmm. shut down for a long time because of oh. the pandemic, but we were fine because we saved. Mm-hmm. We were fine because we saved. But um, the last time I went out to eat was February with my sisters, February of 2020. Just before COVID Right before hit. it all hit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I, I'm afraid to go out. I'm really mm-hmm. not. I just don't need that. I don't need to be dressed up and going out to eat. I'd rather sit in my little swing on the porch mm-hmm. and have a really good book and mm-hmm. listen to the birds and watch the butterflies flutter around me watch my dog who's just hilarious i have mm-hmm. a big parrot that talks to me all the time <laughs> i don't need anything more and i don't i think part of the problem that people have is they want to prove they've arrived mm-hmm. and 
getting money and things is not arriving. Correct. It's, it's fine. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I know many right. very wealthy people. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. But what are you doing for your purpose? What are you doing that makes you feel connected to the universe, to other people, to your community? If you have a faith to your faith, what is it that you're doing? Because I think those are the missing links. Yep. There's no question about that. And that is, is how researchers and scientists and, and, and philosophers think of happiness in terms of meaning and purpose. Because when you have meaning and purpose, that's when you're going to feel overall, it's not going to be a wonderful, every moment wonderful, but you are going to feel connected and value. And you are going to feel your value. Yeah. And that is important. It is. And, and I know you taught psychology like I've taught psychology. And, and, and remember, I know you remember uh, Maslow's hierarchy of need. And, and you think about the students and what, what they thought was the ultimate going up that pyramid. And they've mm -hmm. changed the pyramid some um, over the years. But I always said, you know, that self-actualization, which I think they've removed part of that, but it was not reaching your financial peak right it was your spiritual peak mm -hmm. it was your to be able to say i've i'm good yep and interestingly enough um maslow before he died i don't know whether you know this added uh a, a, an, a, an extra tier which really reinforces that which was self-transcendence yes. going beyond your success and finding purpose beyond yourself and beyond your, you know, your ego and your selfish interests. Um, and, and so that's exactly right. Uh, it, it, and that actually isn't always conveyed in, in books or when it's taught. But yeah, that you get to, oh, I've been successful. But there's another level above that. Not just, oh, I make you know, 300,000 a year. Yeah, that's great. I'm successful. No, that's self-transcendence where it's not about how much you make or how much you have. It's about who you are in relation to the world and other people and that ability to move beyond your selfish interest to help others. Yeah. And that's, that's been shown in the research with people who have a lot of money. One of the things that they appreciate, a lot of them, is the ability to give money to mm -hmm. causes that are important to them mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely the fellow that that won the lottery and moved out into the country mm -hmm. he became connected to the earth he had he has cows i think he still does i've lost touch but he had a bunch of cows and chickens and and was into the farming of the land and riding his horses and and i i just smile when i heard his story because to me, that was the ultimate to be connected to the outside. I think we need that. We're, we're too often in, inside our homes on our computers or our phone. And, and when's the last time you walked in the grass without shoes, barefoot? Mm -hmm. right. When did you last touch a tree? Mm -hmm. You know, I used to work with this fella and he used to way back when I was very, very young, I was still like 1920. And he put his hands on trees and he used to get the energy. I thought he was a wackadoodle. Mm -hmm. He wasn't. He was mm -hmm. absolutely spot on that mm -hmm. there's energy 
And we're missing that by being always connected to something. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's absolutely true. And nature uh, is a wonderful healer and it's a wonderful way to be connected to something other than the worldly things like money that obsess us and are around us all the time and direct our thinking and who we are. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And like you said, um, another purpose is to be able to give it away, to give it. And I like to give anonymously. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't want the accolades. I'd rather know somebody who really needed something and just kind of quietly push that money their way. Mm-hmm. I think that's a lot of fun. And, mm-hmm. and it's a simple way. I don't want to be the money tree or the person that, you know, I, I'm not, I live so simple, but, but I, I can help. And, and I like that. And I, I found that, you know, those that I work with that are quite, quite wealthy that do that sort of thing, they really feel good. Yeah. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier reading the BBC news and there was a really good article a couple of weeks ago on what was called do-gooder derogation, which is how a lot of people, when somebody is doing good and sort of being open about it and maybe seeming like they're being a little boastful about it, do not like it, you know, do not like it, do not appreciate it, uh, you know, and think they're doing it for them, not for other people, whether they are or not. You know, they may be, they may not be. I mean, there's there's obviously some, I'm sure you could find some really clear examples of people making a big deal of what they've donated all the way down to people like you who just donate anonymously and no one knows they've done it. Uh, and everything in between, between saying, I'm just, I've given this money and I'm just so glad I can do it, you know, which, you know, I don't think is boastful or or what have you, but could be seen as that. And, and so that I, I thought that was a fascinating article about how anyone who is doing good, but seems to be doing it for the wrong, quotation mark, wrong reasons, or is interpreted that way, you know, gets, um, doesn't get a good vibe from other people. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. And, and like you said, they could be giving because they want to, and then the media is out there or someone with a camera and they want a good story. Right. Exactly. That, that makes a good story, but, yeah. but it's the quiet ones that do it. I think that's really, really pretty awesome, you know, to be able to go out there and do something with purpose, you know, uh, bring a meal to a friend. Or, you know, lots of people have been sick the last few years mm-hmm. because they weren't taking care of their health because they didn't go to the doctors because mm-hmm. they were afraid, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't want to get COVID. So they didn't take care of their heart or their this or their that. Mm-hmm. And I saw a lot of that. I, I had a lot of loss this last two mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. you know, between the COVID or other complications yes. because yeah. they didn't go to the doctors. And, um, but what I saw that was really beautiful in all of that, I saw a lot of people going to their community and, and making meals and bringing it to someone who couldn't get out, you know, a shut in or, you know, we had the, um, the onset of the telehealth, which we've had before, but mm-hmm. not like now. Mm-hmm. It's fabulous because I was yeah, able absolutely. to be there. I, I still came to my office. I was all alone here mm. during that time frame, but 
I could connect with others and they saw me, they could see my face, they could see my office and it kind of gave this message, we're gonna be okay, we're gonna be okay. And I think that's what we need to obsess on. How could we help other people become okay? What could we do to make it a better place for somebody else? I'd rather see obsessions outside of ourselves, mm -hmm. so much in ourselves. You know, I, I've had so many, especially because of the telehealth, and we've talked about this before, where they're looking in because you could see yourself while you're talking to someone mm -hmm. and they're busy looking at themselves rather than me mm -hmm. and, and thinking, oh, I have a new wrinkle or I have a new this or I I'm thinking, no, we need to be connected. It's not about our looks. It's not about our money. It's not about looking like we have a lot of money right. because that's really not going to keep you happy on that last breath that you take. You're not going to be thinking how much did right. I make? No. And I think as we get older, and I'm sure you've appreciated this too, <clears throat> the things become way less important. In fact, you know, you're, you're trying to find ways to get rid of, <laughs> give away your things or certainly don't accumulate any more um, because you realize over time that they have limited value. I mean, they're nice to have and so forth, but in the end, towards the end, as you get older, that is not what's important at all. No, that's just stuff. That's yeah. just stuff. Yeah. But one of the things I do talk about in, in this particular book is not only that money is not going to buy you happiness and it's not the, the, the be all end all because you have money, but I also address those who don't have money. Mm. And I, I do understand that because I've been from, you know, I, I wouldn't call riches, but a pretty comfortable life as a mm. kid to rags. Mm -hmm. And I, I've seen many go from rags to riches and riches to rags. And I've always said, if I had to go to rags, I think I'd be okay. because mm. I, know, mm. I know how to do it. I know how to do it well. Um, I always remember there was a big crash in the stock market. I remember saying to my Aunt Mary, I was probably in my 30s maybe at the time, I said, oh, you must be devastated. And she looked at me and she was serious. She said, you know, my life is not going to change one inch. Mm. And it's because she didn't really spend it. She just sat right. around, you know, and mm -hmm. did her thing. And so what I, I'm teaching also in this book is if you are struggling, and if you are obsessing, let's dial it back and let's look at why you're obsessing. Is there a fear of being poor? Does that tie to something that you've been through before? Um, or is it because you want to keep up with the Joneses and you think that they'll like you better? Mm -hmm. and, and, and how how can you turn that around? If, if you are living really in a tough situation, you're well in debt, there is a way out. I, I wanted to be able to paint that too. And I, of course, share myself because I want any reader who reads any of my work to know it was never always a simple, you know, hop, skip, jump for me. I had to work my way to everything I've ever gotten and, and that they could do that too. And I read a lot of books. You know, the first book that was ever put in my hands was by my sister, Christy. I was probably about 18 years old. I don't know what kick she was on. But she gave all the sisters, there's, there's six in my family, four girls, two boys. I don't think she gave the boys any books, but the, the sisters, she gave us um, the book called The Millionaire Next Door. 
I still have that book to this day. I love that book. And the millionaire next door is not who you think the millionaire next door is. He's the guy with the simple car. That's me, you know, driving the same car for 10 years, you know, without any debt. That's the millionaire next door. And then the second book that, that really helped me was um, Dave Ramsey's book, The Money Market or Total Money Makeover, I think it was called. And I really found those two books so helpful in teaching me how to live simple, how to get out of debt, how the, the millionaire next door is not who you think he, he or she is. Um, you know, I've seen many, many millionaire homes and they're pretty broke. So it's not who you think it is. And, and so I wanted to paint that picture that no matter where you are, if you're living well, great. Give, find your purpose, find your happy. If you're living beneath your means, let's look at why. What could you do? And, and the, the argument I'll get, but I don't have an education or I don't have those degrees. You don't need those degrees. My mother-in-law certainly didn't have them. She worked hard and she saved. Right. And so I, I wanted to paint this happy message that, that you can do it too and be financially stable. Yes. And, and I mentioned to you, in fact, I included in, in the forward to your book, um, the woman that I knew and worked with for a while in, in therapy who lived in a very, very ritzy part of town and a beautiful home, you know, had everything. Um, her marriage broke up and uh, I saw her about a year later and she was living in, you know, quite a different part of the area, um, you know, <laughs> in a mobile home. And she told me, I've never been happier. I've never been happier. Um, and I thought it was a great illustration of that because, you know, there are fundamental needs that we have, but over and above and beyond that, it's again, how are you spending your time? Are you a value? I think that's important, that question, whether you think you are a value in some ways. And do you value yourself uh, and, and your relationship to the rest of the world and other people? I think that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's really the key. Um, Absolutely. And, and value doesn't mean you have a, 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 you know, deep pockets or a bulging wallet. It doesn't mean that. I loved in, in your forward, uh, the penny about a penny mm, a day. Oh, what yeah. would you take? Yeah. And I read that piece. Maybe you could share that because when I read it, I said, oh, I think Howard's wrong on this because I got my little calculator out. I'm not mathy at all. <laughs> and I, I couldn't get it to come out. And then my accountant's son uh -huh. He goes, oh, no, no, you have to do this. And he did whatever you do right. to compound it. Right. And it's a great story. Yeah, it is a story. It's a great one. And it's a common one use. So for the listeners, it goes like this. I'll give you $3 million now, or I'll give you a penny today. I will double each day the amount that I give you and add it to the pile uh, for 31 days. What will you take? And of course, most people say, you kidding me? I'll take 3 million. But a penny a day doubled over 31 days comes to five and a half million dollars, which is unreal. You don't, you don't think of that, but, it, but that's what it is. And I thought about this in terms of, 
you know, how we can educate people on this. If you said, I'll try and get the numbers right. If you were in class and said, okay, here's what we're going to do, class. I'm going to give half of you a token a day, and I'm going to double it, uh, you know, to the end of the first week. And then you can redeem your tokens for what you want. Uh, some of you will get it for one week, and then you'll be able to redeem your tokens then. And some will have to wait two weeks and get it. And after one week, it comes to 31 tokens. I believe after two weeks, it comes to like 1,100 tokens. <laughs> that is so so visual. That's mm-hmm. so visual in a class. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's amazing. And, and reading your uh, foreword, I immediately, I was thinking, well, I think I'd take that $3 million. Mm-hmm. And I'd invest it. I mean, that was my first thought until I really understood it's exactly what I'm saying. But I never saw it in that light. And it mm-hmm. was like, wow, you just keep saving. And that's what happened with the woman living on on her $700 in that studio apartment, she didn't realize if I just keep putting 20 away and 10 away and 15, all of a sudden she had 50,000. And for her, 50,000 is plenty. For most of us, that's a lot of money. And and she'll be fine. She's now, I think, 70 something. And, And she could live off that if she stays in a simple life. Had she not done that, she might be in some deep trouble because there may be a time she can't squirrel it away. No, 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 absolutely. And there was another one that I think I worked out, which was if you just save $10 a week and put it away over 10 years, um, and that comes to about $5,000. But if you've invested it and got like a 5% return on it, it's more like (laughs) $7,000. For just ten bucks a week. Ten bucks, and and how often do we take that ten dollars? And women, oh, forget it. We're we're going to buy makeup, and we're going to buy perfume, and we're going to buy all this stuff uh, that that we really don't. We don't need all that. You know, a lot of women will have drawers and drawers. I have a sister like that of makeup and this and that. We don't need it. Mm. You need a few pieces, and that's it. <laughs> Or, oh, I got $10 in my, buy a lottery ticket. Oh, yes. Yes, I think there's been studies done that most people who buy lottery tickets do not have a lot of money to be buying those lottery tickets. Back to your point, they could take that money, that $5 or 10 or whatever they're spending every week, and instead go ahead and put that in the bank or put that in something that will accumulate Mm -hmm. more. I don't buy lotto tickets. I think I've bought two in my whole life. And it's mm-hmm. usually because my sisters, when we have a sister's week and there's a Powerball thing happening, right. I'll be like, oh, let's do it. And I always, when I buy it, I always close my eyes and I say, God, please don't give it to me. <laughs> I don't want it. I don't want that headache of now what, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it, it's, you're not going to get it in a lotto. And another is the stock market. That's become mm-hmm. very popular. And right. it's fine. There's nothing wrong with the stock market. My right. father loved it, but he right. was obsessed. Mm-hmm. Every room in his music stores had a TV with a ticker tape running. <laughs> he was, and he had his little notebook all the way until his 90s. He wow. was watching that 
stock market like it was his most important everything. And of course, he had a very strong faith and he had that too. But he taught me a lot about money and a lot about prayer, those two things. And um, that whole stock market, I watch, you know, I work with a lot of gamblers, um, Mm -hmm. which is another addiction. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And they're on their phone. They'll be talking to me. And all of a sudden they stop and they look on the phone to see, oh, my numbers are going down. I'm like, oh, you don't want to do that. We can't be tied into the stock market or anything when it, you know, you earn your money, put a little away, earn your money, put a little away. And then you are really going to find that you're financially stable and then go out there and find your purpose. What's your value? Absolutely. Interestingly enough, on that topic, uh, my dad was actually a very smart guy, but he had virtually no education. He, he was sick as a kid and hardly went to school. And, um, and he became a bookie, a bookmaker. Uh, and his mental arithmetic was amazing. Um, you know, he, this was in the UK and eventually uh, betting shops became legal and he, he had betting shops. Uh, and he would look at the bets and on a Saturday, there'd be like half a dozen race meetings, races going off every 10 minutes. He would look at the bets and calculate in his head. This was before computers, maybe primitive adding machines. Um, what his risk was and whether he wanted to take it or not. And if he wanted to reduce it, you know, he'd call up someone else and make a bet on his own, which was amazing. Just, just staggering to me that he did that. Um, and he was very successful at it, very successful at it. Um, and he always said to me, only gamble what you can afford to lose. You know, you know, gamble just what you're prepared to lose. Don't, but, you know, unfortunately what happens, and interestingly, uh, in the first part of my career, you know, I was involved in addictions and specifically gambling and became a member of the National Association of Gambling in the, in the UK and did some research on that. It is an addiction. It has withdrawal symptoms, even though you're not taking anything in. It has withdrawal symptoms. It's a, just like an addiction. Um, and it's so easy to get pulled pulled into that you know and we do have betting now on sports in a lot of states and it's it's again is that really where you want to spend your money you know 100 bucks on this football game yeah and it's it's not only spending it's not only spending your money it's spending your thinking time how much energy do these obsessions take out of your actual present living a lot because mm-hmm. you're in here thinking about if I, if I could do mm-hmm. this or that or have this or that. And, mm-hmm. and again, the, the gambling is so interesting because no matter how much you make, it's not going to be enough. You're going to need, you know, you could have a whole bushel of, of money fall in your lap and it's the quest of getting and the high of you got it, and then the high of the the low. Mm-hmm. It's right. that that whole high, ha- yep. you know. And it's the same with food addiction. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. And that's why when I started my practice and my writings, first one was the food addiction because mm-hmm. I could understand it. That I had that, you know. When my mom moved us kids as a little kids, 
I, I kind of went into the food as a coping mechanism, not knowing I was going to become addicted to the sugar. And then I realized how much time I had chatter in my head. And that led to the second book with the chatter in the head, because we spend a lot of time with this imaginary and sometimes real, you know, devil angel kind of thing going on in our head to um, then that third book where I started talking about cheat days, because people have this, this idea that, okay, I'm going to eat like this five days a week or six, and then I'm going to have whatever I want for a day. That ties into money and gambling, gambling and obsession. It all goes in the same pot. It's really all about self-control, um, right? And, you know, it starts with awareness. You have to understand what you're doing, why it can be damaging and dangerous. Um, but awareness is not enough. You have to do things differently. And you really have to develop that self-control because that's really what it comes down to. And, yeah. and, and as you know, one of the things that is easily misunderstood and I think mistaken is that we think that all our behavior is consciously controlled. It isn't. And especially with habits, they've gone to a subconscious level. So it's much more difficult than we even think about changing, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and to become aware and dig in and start to live more consciously about your life and what you're doing, you can start to make those changes. I, and you know, I, I don't think it's about willpower in any of these areas. I think it's more about self-awareness, self-care, self-love, um, living a healthy life, you know, having good, clean, real food. You don't have to go to the fancy stores to buy it. Uh, actually, I shop at Sam's. Mm -hmm. I'm very happy oh, at yeah. Sam's. Yep. I shop in bulk. Mm -hmm. And because to yep. me, it's a way to save. I don't want mm -hmm. to be, I'm not spending foolishly. And I like having that stock in the freezer, especially now. I mean, there's like, mm. I don't know what it's like where you're at, but there's a little bit of a shortage. You're only allowed mm -hmm. to take one pack of chicken at, at Sam's and one pack of hamburger. And when the turkeys were out, you're allowed to take one and which is fine. We should only take one anyway. We shouldn't be hoarding. But that awareness of living healthy in every way, moving your body every day, whether it's walking, a lot of people say, no, I need a gym. No, unless you, you really love gyms, they're very costly. And look what happened when we had the shutdown. That was very interesting. People were running everywhere trying to buy machines. I had this cardio glide in my garage that I really wanted to get rid of for years. Nobody would take it, not with a free sign, nothing. It was in great, great shape. When that happened and the, the gyms were shut down, I put it outside. It was gone in less than five minutes because people were panicking. They didn't have their gym anymore. And I, I, I realized, Maybe that was a lesson too. We learned a lot of lessons over this. I did anyway. And I'm sure you did too, that you don't need to go to the gym to have a good workout. Go walk mm -hmm. outside, get mm -hmm. on a bicycle, mm -hmm. you know, do some yoga in your living room. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I've been a big exerciser, you know, all my life, um, but I've never belonged to a gym. Unfortunately, you know, I've lived in places you know, where it's just spectacular and beautiful to walk or jog, 
outside. I live near a beach. I can jog and walk on the beach. It's just, that's part of it, actually. Just being in a, it's not that much fun when you're inside. Um, but if that's the way it works for you, then good luck for you. Good for you. But, but for me, you know, being outside is, is actually very, very important. You know, it's funny. I did belong to a gym one time in my whole life. I was about 21 years old. It was called the Chicago Health Club. They were very big. It was before you had gyms, Mm -hmm. gym gyms. Mm -hmm. It was Mm -hmm. called the Chicago Health Club. And I had a gold card. It was very impressive. Whenever I opened the wallet, I made sure that card showed because it looked like I was somebody because I had that card. You know, I only went twice. (laughs) Well, not surprising. I didn't, <laughs> Nothing I against you. Yeah, mm. I didn't like to be confined. Actually, what I loved back in those days, because I lived in the city, I would run through the zoo and I'd wave mm. to the panda bear and mm-hmm. all the little animals. And I loved that. And then I'd walk along Lake Michigan. That was mm. free and it yeah. was lovely. And Absolutely. it was outside. And so yeah. that's awesome. the message. Yeah, no, totally agree with you. Okay, so where can people find your books? Where can they find you? Where can they reach you? We'll have this in the show notes, but uh, why don't you tell them? Well, um, I'm on all the social medias, as everybody is, I'm sure. Um, at, at Dr. Lisa Ort, you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram, I believe. And then uh, Facebook is my full name, Dr. Lisa Ortigera Crago. So it'd be, you know, Facebook forward slash, uh, and then my name. And then I have a website, it's weightcontroltherapy.com, where you'll find all my books on obsessions and tips and, you know, healthy living tips and blogs. I write a lot of blogs. And so, um, yeah. And then of course, my books are anywhere books are sold Amazon, you know, you just put my name in there and it'll populate all the books. Yeah, that's that's great. And thank you for writing them too, because they are very important topics. And this one about money, I think is really important and almost universal in terms of everyone has to deal with this and work it out because uh, the implications are huge. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Great. Well, till next time. And it was interesting when you said uh, my next book is, and I was thinking about how not to obsess about social media. And that's kind of what it's about, right? Technology and and stuff. Yes. yes. I, I, I use the word phone, but guess what? Our phone is our little computer. Oh yeah. And uh, that's, that is, I'm already, you know, half into writing it because it's fascinating Everything is so high tech now and it's very addictive. Yes. Even while we've been talking, I watched my phone on the side of my eye and it keeps Mm. lighting up and lighting up and lighting up and you can't help, but it goes to your brain and you say, I wonder who that was. That is, yep. What message is out there? Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, you can go look at them now that we're, we're done, Uh, but good luck writing this. I can't wait to read it and um, we'll have you back. And again, thank you, Lisa, for being on the show today. Thank you so much, Howard. It's so good to see you.